Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we're going to check in on three stud Arizona Fall League starters so far. Names that you're familiar with, but names that really impressed through their first start. I want to break that down for you because I know that information and data and just the numbers in general, video, whatever it may be, can be limited in the Arizona Fall League. So we're going to be talking Jackson Job again. Uh, that's continuing to be the trend. But Ricky Tiedemann will be the guy that we probably spend the most time discussing on this episode. TK Roby as well. And then a few hitters that I wanted to check in on. It's easier to look start by start individually, of course, and break that down and look for, I would say, a direction that a certain pitcher can be heading in, you can get a lot more from one start. With a couple games so far, there's only so much that you can pull from hitters with you know a handful of at-bats. Right? We want to see the trend and, and see where they're going, but usually that's going to take 20, 30, 40 at-bats. Wait to see if there's a tangible adjustment in approach, see if they're experimenting with you know their setup, their pre-swing moves, things like that. You need a little bit more game action to be able to come away and and really break anything down in detail. That said, there are some players that are off to hot starts that had some outlier exit velocities or just interesting things that I definitely want to hit on. Uh, That being Kevin Alcantara of the Cubs. He ran into a couple absolute laser beams, as did Zach Denzenzo of the Astros and, of course, Graham Pauly of the Padres, who will actually be joining the show in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. Very excited to talk to Graham Pauly, given what he has done in that Padre system as you know, a middle round pick has just been one of the breakout guys over the course of this year and continues to mash in the Arizona Fall League in the early going here. So I'm going to break that down a little bit, too. But let's start with the pitchers, because I had a really good time watching back on these starts and also diving into it and breaking it all down. I'll start with Job and then we'll go to Tiedemann, wrap up with TK Roby. Going to spend the most time, like I said, on Tiedemann as it was the longest start. But also there's a lot of storylines within the Tiedemann start that I'm excited to discuss. So we'll start with Job, who... I mean, again, just another quality outing for him. And honestly, for his standards, I don't think this was his best. Four innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, four Ks. And now you're probably saying, well, what is his best then? His best has been zero walks, uh, which is the crazy thing. His command was a little bit spotty for his standards. Again, if you scatter two walks and only give up two hits over four innings, that's fine. We're nitpicking here. But I'm just pitting him against himself because this was a guy that closed the season out with 60 strikeouts and three walks. I think there was just a level of getting acclimated out there, a little bit of a different zone uh, in terms of what they're using. He was, remember, high A and then just a taste of double A out there. They're using the ABS and there's some moving parts and it's, it's a tighter, different zone. And for Job, a guy that has four different pitches moving in all different directions, that's something to adjust to. And honestly, the fact that his command wasn't totally there, 55 pitches, 31 strikes, uh, and he was able to still be efficient, still be effective, that was what really stood out to me. Because you had a slider that just, that's a pitch that's always there for him. And if you go back and listen to our interview with him, he talks about how he feels like he can land that slider in any count. He couldn't really land the slider consistently in this start. It just wasn't there for him. And so instead, he leans on the fastball, he leans on the cutter, he leans on the changeup, and gets outs. So we often talk about what is the true tell of a frontline guy, and there's a bunch of different things, and of course stuff and velocity and all that stuff is important, shape, all of that. That's kind of given. 
the separator, because there's so many guys that have stuff and shape and all that, and command, of course, too, but the separator is how do you battle when you don't have your A stuff? Because there's always going to be outings, you know, every single year where you don't have your best stuff. How do you battle out there? Can you still turn turn in a quality start? And that's exactly what Job did, uh, being able to just find effective ways to get hitters out when the slider wasn't there. And that's what really stood out to me. Fastball also running up to 98 miles an hour on three different occasions. That's extremely encouraging as well. I expect him to continue to fill up the strike zone more. Again, he only threw 14 sliders because it was only 55 total pitches and only landed six of those for a strike. And again, I think that was a big part of that was obviously the the different zone and you know, dealing with the ABS and those types of things. But seeing the cutter and the changeup effective, seeing the fastball really jump, really encouraging outing from Jackson Job, who sat 96 to 97, you know, most of the start. And I think he's probably the easy favorite to be the pitcher of the year in this Arizona Fall League. Uh, there's other guys, though, and we're going to talk about them. There's other arms that have looked impressive. I'm going to try to highlight maybe a couple more very quickly uh, if we have enough time. But I'm going to go to Ricky Tiedemann now of the Toronto Blue Jays because this was encouraging for a lot of reasons. He goes five innings, three hits, one run, three walks, seven Ks. But there's a few things that really stood out to me. And yes, could he have been a little bit more around the strike zone? Sure, 77 pitches, 44 strikes. But this was the most pitches he threw all year, which is very important, and also the most innings. And for a guy that's battled injury issues that you know wants to hold his velocity later into starts and, and feel like he can be stretched out and, and shake off any reliever concern that there is there, a big part of it isn't just the pitches, it's the up-downs. And I think that's something that you know, has been interesting just learning more about how that affects pitchers and, and how oftentimes that is more of their concern is how do I feel after I throw the first inning, I go sit down for 15 minutes and then go back out there again and then do it again and again and again. Does my body tighten up on me? Do I, do I not feel as loose? Do I start guarding myself? Does soreness start to creep in? Does the adrenaline wear off? Like there's a lot of things that I think become factors here beyond just the, oh, 70 pitches, he's fatigued and he's starting to slow down. You, you have that consistent number there and you can say, okay, I, the higher the pitch count goes, the more tired I get. But the up-downs are a little bit of a more unique challenge and, and also something that starts to creep in when your body isn't feeling great. By all accounts, Tiedemann's body looked like it was feeling great because he was comfortable, he was confident, and he was letting loose. I mean, the fastball was up to 97. He did see the velocity drop a little bit later in the start, but watching back at it, it, it wasn't one of those where I felt like the mechanics were breaking down too much. I think it was more of him legitimately more on the pitch count side, pushing towards an area that he has not pushed towards. I mean, he has not thrown that many pitches all year. He threw close to that once, and even if you look at the last couple of years, he's rarely eclipsing that 77 pitch total. So probably a combination of, of the fatigue. And again, it's not like it's it's cold out there. It's still pretty warm in Arizona. And then just the up downs mixed in there. But I thought he handled those really well. Every time he'd come out first couple pitches, he seemed comfortable. There wasn't this getting loose again and, and trying to feel himself and, and try to get back locked in. 
the fastball looked really good, and, and that's the that's the thing here. And it's not just the fa- velocity; it's not just the 97. He sat 93 to 96, but the shape was good. It was he was getting a lot of swings and misses at the top of the zone. He dipped to 92, you know, and and a little bit more 92, 93 in his fourth and fifth inning of work. But again, like, there was some fatigued misses up, and then he'd lock right back in and execute a pitch. So I think it was a really good experience for him and and kind of learning experience of feeling his body, feeling himself get fatigued, and then being able to make those adjustments because he really hasn't been stretched out enough to be fatigued much in games and to be able to adjust to that and be able to respond to his body and figure out kind of what he is doing right or wrong pitch by pitch when those legs start to get a little bit tired, when you start to run out of gas a little bit. It's like the basketball equivalent of, you know, when a basketball coach makes a run and run and run and run in practice, and then you got to put jump shots up. Uh, to kind of simulate going into the fourth quarter into OT, are you still going to be able to get good jumpers off when you're a little bit more fatigued? And that was something that I think has been a focus for Tiedemann in this Arizona Fall League is to, to stretch out a little bit more. And that's exactly what he did in that last outing. He predominantly threw fastballs and sliders in this one, just mixing in five changeups. But the wild part is you know, he has a great changeup. It's a fantastic three-pitch mix. Of the five changeups he threw, he racked up three whiffs, and they were three really good changeups. So it was interesting to see him not go to it as much and go more fastball slider heavy. Uh, I think, again, that the focus was just throw strikes and, and try to be stretched out and go as many innings as he can here, and that's what he did. But it was fascinating to see him not go to the changeup more because it was a really effective pitch for him, especially against right-handed hitters. So I'm interested to see if he starts to use that changeup more in, in later starts. But regardless, the fastball was really good. The slider flashed. It wasn't as consistent as we've seen it when he was you know, really breaking out in 2022, but it flashed that. There's the legitimate potential for three-plus pitches here if he can get that slider more consistently to where it was. But when you have a fastball as good as his, and we talk about Kyle Harrison and you know that unique release point and how he can really lean on the fastball almost too much and still get away with it. Tiedemann doesn't quite have that fastball quality to that degree because of just doesn't have as ridiculous of a release point and as much of an outlier shape. But he can lean on the fastball pretty pretty heavily and have a large degree of success. I think that was part of the reason why the changeup played up too, and he got those three swings and misses. But if that slider continues to come along, it's a three-pitch mix that's going to make him a problem. And the most important thing right now is seeing him healthy and seeing him build up innings. And that's going to be the focus out there. And if he can do that, I mean, he's really right back in the conversation as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. He, he currently is, but I think he puts himself right back in that I'm a top dog. There's not really any better minor league arms than me. I, I think Tiedemann is that guy, but every time he builds that momentum and, and heads in that direction something stifles that and that's the concern and that's the unpredictability that's that's out of your hands and really out of the Blue Jays hands and and out of Ricky Tiedemann's hands I'm sure he works hard to to stay healthy and he's going to continue to you know try to find the ways to do that the one thing I did notice is there is effort in that delivery and and that's getting a couple different video angles you can really see the effort in the delivery that is still a concern for for me and that's why when you look at the top prospect list off sheer talent I think he's right there with the top tier prospects pitching wise in the game. I think you can make the Casey's one B to somebody else's one a or one C like there's a, there's a cluster of tier one guys and he's right there. And he could arguably be as valuable as any of them because I think he's the most talented left-handed pitching prospect we've had for a little bit. So that's the frustrating aspect of it 
and the effort in the delivery does still kind of give me some pause. Regardless, this was an extremely encouraging outing to get five innings from him, one run, the three walks in the seven Ks, and the 77 pitches, which we just have not seen from him in some time. TK Roby, I mean, he was nasty. And the Cardinals are going to be a little bit careful with him, another dude that's you know been banged up. And when he was traded from the Texas Rangers in that in that deal for a Jordan Montgomery, we've got of course Thomas Ajayi coming over to the Cardinals as well. They made out really well on that deal. But on the on the flip side, I mean the Rangers are still playing in the postseason, and and I don't think they're there without Jordan Montgomery. So a classic good trade on both ends. But good job on the Cardinals here to maybe go get a pitcher that may not have been available if he was healthy. I mean the way he was looking early in the year with the Rangers, he's a guy that I've talked about. You know, back when we broke down the Rangers system, he was one of my breakout guys for the Rangers system this coming year. And I mean, it's just been insane watching the stuff continue to improve and dealing with that shoulder issue to come back and look like the guy he was before is really exciting and makes you feel really good because shoulders are weird. Sometimes the velocity doesn't come back. Sometimes the command is is not right because you start to adjust your release point almost subconsciously uh, as your body just tries to survive uh, when, when you don't feel right. Roby looks like he feels good. The delivery looks smooth. He looks healthy. Everything looks clean. And I do wonder if, if that time off was a little bit more pre- precautionary. He missed a couple months. And even then, I, I do think that the prognosis must have been very positive because he was traded through that time off. So to be traded with a shoulder issue, you know, or at least being on the IL with any sort of arm discomfort, there had to be a very good prognosis to where the Cardinals felt pretty good about it. Cause it just doesn't, you just don't see that very often, especially when it's shoulder and not just the traditional Tommy John. So Roby comes back and, you know, kind of backs up that theory by just having ridiculous stuff. Three innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, five Ks. 43 pitches, 31 strikes. They're going to probably keep the leash relatively short. It's not going to be the same as Tiedemann because I don't know if Roby needs to be stretched out to the same degree. He's been stretched out a little bit more in the past, now just trying to build back up off of injury and just compile innings. The thing with Roby is the fastball just continues to get better every time I watch. He's 22 years old. He touched 97. He sat right around 96, 95. He threw one pitch below 94.5 miles per hour. So it's amazing how he's able to just hold that velocity as well. I know he only went three innings, but there just wasn't much variance here. It was almost exclusively 96s with a couple fives and a couple sevens sprinkled in. And then he had the one off of the 94 point whatever that we saw, which again is still fuzz. And the shape is really impressive. I mean, he's getting 18, 19 inches of vert uh, from, a, from a solid release point that makes it look like it takes off. And, and that's been the big aspect of it. But I think what makes Roby really tough and, and what I've been able to see a little bit more of and in this outing, I saw it again, is that there's a legitimate four-pitch mix here and he's gaining more and more confidence in his other secondaries because it was always fastball curveball for him and it's a hammer curve. So you have this riding fastball and then just a downer curve and those two pitches would tunnel really well off of each other and the curve was so sharp that really he was able to get some ridiculous swings and get guys caught in between and make guys feel really uncomfortable in the box. But he has made some major strides with the slider. And similar to Job, 
in this instance, Roby's curveball wasn't totally there for him. It, we don't have a huge pitch count to work off of here with only 43 pitches, but he threw 10 curveballs, 22 fastballs, six sliders, and five changeups. Of the 10 curveballs, five were balls. He got a couple whiffs, but half of the curveballs that he threw were balls. So he went to the slider a little bit more. And of the six sliders that he threw, five were for a strike, and he had multiple swings and misses. Then the changeup, that had been a really inconsistent pitch for him much, much of the year. Small sample, five pitches here, but I saw four really good changeups and again, several whiffs. So it was encouraging to see. Normally he's using the curveball close to 30% of the time. He ups the slider and changeup usage a little bit because the curveball wasn't totally there for him. And I think if this was a game where he stretched out four or five innings, you start to see even more slider changeup usage. So this was something that stood out to me. And then beyond that, the fastball command was fantastic. Of the 22 fastballs he threw, 17 for a strike. Extrapolating beyond just that one outing, the way Roby closed out the year was a guy that really started to find that slider. And I want to see him throw it more because over the course of his final five starts, not including this most recent Arizona Fall League start, he was only mixing in the slider around 10% of the time. If he starts to throw that 15, maybe even 20%, I would say 15 is even a good number and up the changeup usage a little bit. That ability to kind of give different looks each time through the lineup is going to allow him to go deep and have success. Because everybody, when they prepare for TK Roby, it's fastball, curveball. And you don't want to show them the curveball a lot early on. Or if you do show the curveball a lot early on, you want to be able to give them a different look later on. And it's several different velocities too. It's 96 with the fastball. It's 82 with the curve. It's 87 with the slider. And then it's 83 with the change. That is going to be a really uncomfortable four-pitch mix and a very difficult at-bat to prepare for. Throughout the course of the season, Roby just didn't have the changeup consistency. So he, he only threw it about 8 9% of the time. He only landed it for a strike around 44% of the time. In comparison, Fastball, 70% strike rate. Curveball, 63% strike rate, which is great for a curveball of that kind of depth. And then the slider was shaky in the beginning of the year and just got better and better. Over the course of the season, 60% strike rate. But if you dig up the final five starts, 68% strike rate. If you dig up the final 10 starts for that slider, you've got a 65% strike rate. So the slider just continued to trend in the right direction and just kind of led us right into this final start here, or the most recent start, where Slider was there and it bailed him out of having to, you know, try to find that curveball. Because if the Slider hasn't made these improvements, when you don't have the curve, you're going to have to go fastball heavy. And even with a good velocity and good shape, you better hit your spots, especially in Arizona, because that changeup hasn't been there in the past either. Looks like everything's coming together here for TK Roby, and I'm really excited to see how he can continue to progress. And it's really cool to see him have the velocity back, look really healthy. The last thing I want to mention is the way that this guy came back off the IL and now including this most recent start in a postseason start in AA, we have six appearances, six starts since coming off that IL, all with a new organization. 19 innings, 28 strikeouts, four walks, six earned runs. It's a 284 ERA. It's a 41% K rate. It's a 6% walk rate. Fastball average 96 in that span. TK Roby's an impactful arm, and he's going to be, I think, one of the more exciting prospects pitching-wise in baseball uh, moving into next year and a big-time name to watch who should have a lot of helium. And the Cardinals need him bad. So he could be somebody that ends up getting fast-tracked a little bit too for you fantasy folks out there.
Before I move on to the hitters, I want to highlight a lefty matchup here. We had a pair of lefties dueling against each other that they both really impressed me. One a little bit more than the other, but one is probably a little bit more nasty than the other, so somewhat comes with the territory. DJ Hers versus Blake Walston. And Jack and I recently just talked about Blake Walston and you know how it was a weird year because the underlying data like doesn't look great. Uh, I mean, he was throwing in the PCL, so you got to cut him some slack, but he walked almost as many as he struck out, but somehow kept a, a respectable ERA intact. So it was just, a, it's, he's a puzzling profile. He comes with some you know prospect pedigree, was drafted high, still young, has just found ways to get outs at each level. And it's exactly what he did uh, the other night. He threw, I believe that would have been on Wednesday, and him versus DJ Hers, they both go three innings. I'll start with Walston, then get to Hers. Walston with the Diamondbacks, Hers, of course, with the Nationals now after being traded from the Cubs in that Heimer Candelario deal. Walston goes three innings of shutout ball, four hits that he scattered, one walk, four Ks. Fastball sat at 90, but he just kind of filled up the zone and was able to just mix up his speeds, just has enough built in deception and got some weak contact and got out of there with no runs allowed. It was an interesting balance of the curveball and the slider that I thought both looked pretty good for him. He mixed in 10 curveballs, 9 sliders, 4 changeups, and of course the 20 fastballs to give you 43 pitches. But just the way he was able to kind of push-pull, make that 90 look like 93-94 because of the 77-mile-an-hour curveball, because of the changeup, just the way that he's able to slow you down and speed you up makes sense that he's able to just outperform the peripherals and I thought this was an example of it I'm gonna need to see more to be bought into Walston but I wanted to give him credit it just wouldn't be fair to talk about DJ hers and talk about how good he looked and then not give Blake Walston his flowers I thought that was a very encouraging start for him as someone that definitely has the comfort of, of pitching out there in that in that climate and in that area and, and in a place where the ball really flies but at the same time he got more swings and misses than Many people probably would have expected, and he was able to keep hitters off balance in those three innings of work. On the other side, DJ Hers looked dirty, and it was really fun to watch. He was nasty. He punched out five over three innings, did not allow a run, only two hits and one walk. Fastball averaged around 92 miles an hour, but from where DJ Hers releases it, that thing just takes off, and it is hard to pick up, and it is just hard to hit, especially if you're a lefty. And in that game, he threw 31 fastballs, 20 for strikes. He mixed in 15 changeups that were nasty, and then five sliders and one little taste-breaking curveball. But the fastball-changeup combination, I mean, that's been his bread and butter all year long. Opponents hit 184 against his fastball. Opponents hit 157 against his changeup. That's what he does. He'll mix in the slider and the curveball every once in a while to give you a different look. The slider's probably the better pitch because from that release point, it helps that it's a little bit sharper in the mid-80s and just it tunnels off of the fastball and, and the changeup a bit because you just don't really see the ball well from that release point. But what I really was impressed with with hers is, one, the moxie. He's so confident and comfortable out there. I tweeted a video of him doing a backward strut as he kind of walked off the mound as he got that last K. Uh, but also just knowing that he is tough to pick up and using that to foster aggression and feel comfortable attacking the zone. Remember, DJ Hers is somebody that has battled command issues 
And I don't think it's because of his confidence, but it does help when you know, hey, I can leave one over the middle and I could get away with it. It allows you to be a little bit more comfortable in just trying to fill up the zone. A guy that walked 14% of batters this year did not look like that in this outing. And small sample with just three innings, but the way that he was sequencing, the way he was attacking, the way that he was getting ahead, that all stood out to me. You got 52 pitches, you got 35 strikes. That's good for DJ Hers. If he can continue to do that, he, he would be a middle rotation type starter. Just 22 years old still, this is an opportunity for him to really solidify himself as one of the better pitching prospects in this national system. And you couldn't ask for much more out of that first start. What I really liked with the changeup is that he can throw it to hitters from both sides of the plate. The horizontal action from a horizontal release point really makes it play both ways. If it's left on left, it looks like it's starting belt high and then just buries under your barrel or into your hands. And if you're a righty, he was front dooring guys with it. He, he got a strikeout where it probably looked like it was coming inside or almost at the right-handed hitter's front hip. He froze and it just darted right back on the inside corner for strike three. A lot of comfort with the changeup, a lot of confidence with the fastball, and hers looked like the guy many Cubs fans were hoping he could be or become, I think, in this outing. Fastball was up to 94 as well, which is encouraging. Touched 93, 93 and a half a handful of times. This was a really, really solid start from hers, and I will be tuned in as he makes his next start because this guy could be a problem if he's filling up the strike zone around 65% of the time like he did in this start. Real quick, a few just standout hitters in the early going. As I said, I want a little bit more of a sample size to work with before we really get into all of these hitters and, and who's trending in what direction. But Kevin Alcantara, he looks great. 21 years old, had that ridiculous finish to the season that we talked about in the uh, roster preview, which by the way, if you missed that, go check out part one and two where we break down basically every notable prospect that you need to follow or know about that each team is sending uh, out to this fall league. But Alcantara, he closed the year out as well as you, you could have wanted if you're a Cubs fan. Final 40 games, slash 326, 405, 525. He's still working to tap into the raw power in games more, which is going to come from creating leverage. He has long levers, but a hard part of having long levers is being able to consistently hit the ball in the air because it's just so hard to create the angles and it can be easy to be a little bit longer to the ball. What's encouraging is that he has not been striking out nearly as much over the, the end of the season. Definitely wasn't doing that. The EVs are really good. And now we're starting to see him lift with authority more. He hit a home run on Wednesday that went 112 miles an hour and it was just a laser beam. On a 97-mile-per-hour fastball middle in, he hits at 112 and has no problem getting the barrel to it. Then you have another ball, that same game, a breaking ball that was boring in on him, and he just scorches it. Uh, I think it was 109 off of the bat. And then again, we get him against a high-velocity pitcher, Zach Maxwell coming in, throws 99, and he turns it around for a 107-mile-an-hour single. So these are the guys that... If you're 6'6", like Kevin Alcantara, any wasted movement can really hurt you. Any swing inefficiencies can make velocity a problem, can make it hard to adjust to breaking balls. It's just harder to hit. That's why these profiles are, are scary. And that's probably why the Yankees were okay with trading him to the Cubs, knowing that there's just such a wide range of outcomes for a guy that was as young as he was as a teenager and 
as far off as he was. But I think he just continues to progress the way that you'd want to see him. And this is going to be a really important time for him because he's going to start the year in double A. It's going to get him comfortable for that double A transition period. He had a taste of it at the end of the year, which was also really important. And then now he gets out there and gets to do this. He is swinging and missing still a little bit. There's definitely some some punch outs that could be avoidable. But for me, I don't see it as a whiff issue in the zone as much as I see it as swing decisions. And that comes from timing and also feeling like he has more time to make those decisions and feeling like he can be quick enough to the ball to not have to cheat and and chase a little bit more on some of these breaking balls that he was out on his front leg on. But when he stays back, when he sees the ball early, when he's comfortable, when everything's on time, it's all fields power. It's plus plus. And it's a guy that has better feel to hit than you'd expect from most people who are 6'6". So I'm excited to see more of him. He's someone that can really boost his stock. And as he continues to try to cut down on that 50% ground ball rate, that will be something that will really turn him into, I think, one of the better young prospect, outfield prospects in the game if he can really have a nice Arizona Fall League and ride that momentum into AA next year. Momentum is exactly what Graham Pauly has of the San Diego Padres system. Somebody that probably was on no radars going into this year. He wasn't even really on draft radars going into last year or the year before that. A 2022 draft pick in the 13th round out of Duke. And it's just been amazing to see how quickly this guy hit the ground running. He got a very brief cameo in 2022 where in 17 games in low A, he put up a 154 WRC plus walked more than he struck out. So that set him up to repeat low A this coming season, or, or in 2023, I should say. And it was just quick work for him. 62 games there, 309, 422, 465 slash line, walked as much as he struck out. Only the four home runs, but a 145 WRC plus. So then he gets the bump up to high A. And in 45 games there, he had 16 home runs. He slashes 300, 358, 629 with a 168 WRC+. plus. This is also while playing all over the diamond. Uh, he's played third, second, basically everywhere. He's played a little bit of outfield. The guy's just a gamer. And again, I'm really excited to, to talk to him very soon. He also mixed in plenty of stolen bases. 22 bags on 25 tries. I realize I also left out what he did in 20 AA games, so let me highlight that. He gets the bump up to double A most recently before this Arizona Fall League stretch here. And he was fantastic there. 321, 375, 556, and 141 WRC plus. Cut his strikeout rate down to 13%. I mean, this dude is just comfortable. His moves are super simple. He uses his lower half as effectively and consistently as possible. It's just minimal movement, powerful lower half, uses the ground well, and good power to the pull side. Nothing jumps off the page, but everything is solid. 90th percentile exit velocity of 103. Zone contact at 87%. Chase rate of 23%. All the things you like to see. Lifts the ball. And then when he gets into the pull side, he'll run into some. And so th- with the first couple games so far, he's already run into two. We have four games as of as the time I'm recording this. And interestingly, he's been playing left field. And I mentioned that he's played all over the diamond, but he predominantly played third and second, and I would say almost mostly third this year with maybe one start a week, at most two starts a week in left field. Three of the four games he has played in left field, and I think the other game he he entered later. So that is interesting. It's fascinating to see that 
Okay, the Padres, I think, realize this is somebody that's trending quickly. We know how aggressive they like to be. They see Pauly, similar to Colt Keith with the bat in terms of just how easy it looks for him, how safe the profile is. Doesn't have the same amount of power, of course, but there's just something about it where you feel like you can drop this guy at any level and he's just going to know his moves. He has his approach. He's not going to stray from it and he's going to find success. And I think seeing that, you know, the aggressive Padres, they're probably ready to push him quickly. And if they're going to push him quickly, it's not going to be in the infield. There's no room for him there. There's room for him in the outfield. And that is saying a lot to me. The fact that he's already just seeing a ton of action and left. That says the Padres are looking at him as an internal option to be able to go out there and maybe help them within the next year. In these four games, he has struck out just once. He has homered twice, both to almost the exact same spot in right field. And even the outs have been solid contact, well-driven balls. He definitely likes to go pull, but he can hit it the other way when he needs to. Not really an expansive swinger and just a guy who really stays within himself well. I'm very excited to talk to Pauly. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do over the remainder of his Arizona Fall League stint and how he's doing in left field and how, how comfortable he is out there as a pretty decent athlete. I think he's going to get acclimated there pretty well and pretty quickly is one of the best outfield prospects in this Padre system, which I think is a big reason why they are giving him those reps out there. But as a guy that's also capable of playing the infield, you have that positional versatility value as well. He just turned 23 two weeks ago. So a nice snag, another just great pick by AJ Preller. Say what you want about him. That's the one thing he can really do is scout and identify and Graham Pauly, a really good identification there as a very underrated and overlooked prospect who was a late bloomer at Duke. Last guy I wanted to mention really quickly on the offensive side is Zach DeZenzo of the Houston Astros. DeZenzo I mean, it is crazy when he runs into one. When he really gets one, he hits it hard. And we already saw that with his 111-mile-per-hour home run off of Ike Buxton. He's got juice. He's a pretty good athlete. And over the final few weeks of the season, really just started to hit the ball as hard as ever. Was the production the same as it was in the early parts of the year? roughly maybe a little bit diminished maybe a little bit more in the strikeout department and I have some concerns there and some things that I'm intrigued to watch because it's a good spot for him to actually work on this I'll get to that in a second but he closed out the year by just putting up a ton of 107 108 109s 110s we saw exit velocities from DeZenzo over the course of the year as high as 114 miles an hour so there's big time power here he seems to be finding the moves that work for him. There's there's some moving parts. Hands start in a spot that's not entirely close to where he gets slotted. It's kind of Mike Trout-like with the hand load, though, where he gets it slotted back deep into his shoulder, kind of pinching that, that scap to get into his spot. And while he does that, he's got the leg kick a little bit, too. So there's probably some inspiration there. He repeats the moves pretty well and hit fastballs pretty well overall over the course of the season. But when he started to get to the more challenging levels, I think some of the inefficiencies and timing, maybe sometimes where he doesn't get into his slot quite early enough with the leg kick and the hand movement, he could get rushed by those fastballs with good vert. And that's what happens when you get to double A. Everybody's got vert. And all of those fastballs are going to be taken off at the top of the zone. And it just felt like it was hard for him to get there. A little bit of that might be swing plane. A little bit of that is timing. And that's fine when you have a swing 
designed to lift and do damage, and that's what he does. I mean, it was a sub 40% ground ball rate this year, and he hits the ball hard. That That's going to be a blue zone for you as the top of the zone. Again, I'm like Trout. I'm not comparing him to him, but if you're going to demolish pitches in a certain zone, if you have a swing kind of geared to be able to do a lot of damage at the bottom of the zone and not miss stuff in the middle of the zone, you might be a little bit more susceptible at the top unless you have you know freak bat-to-ball skills. And I don't know if DeZenzo quite has that, but he does have a, a barrel that stays in the zone for a long time. He does have crazy power to all fields. And I think the challenge for him is going to be registering that fastball is going to stay at the top and leave it there and not try to catch up to pitches that he can't quite catch up to. The good news is a lot of pitchers in Arizona, high velocity fastballs, high carry guys. So that should be fun to see and kind of see how he adjusts from that because the the swing happiness at the top of the zone and I think the the lack of confidence that kind of comes with that once you start swinging through a lot more fastballs at the top of the zone kind of causes you to start to cheat a little bit more, start to try to get out there a little bit earlier, and then that's going to affect you on the secondary stuff. So then you see his chase rate on sliders start to rise, even though his contact rates are good on them. So there, there's a lot of moving parts to that. What, it's been, what has been cool for him, and, and I think why he's a perfect Arizona Fall League candidate, is you're seeing him work through that. You see him continue to get better and better, and then maybe shake a little dry spell, and then get better and better. And I think so far this, this very brief early part of the Arizona Fall League, we're seeing flashes of what can be a really fun player running into that 111 mile per hour home run, but also starting to look a little bit more comfortable in the box, not not expanding on the fastballs quite as much. Let's see how that continues because there's a lot of guys that throw hard and don't quite know where it's going in this league. I think it's a perfect challenge for him to continue to refine that approach and kind of figure out how to hedge that weakness. But it's been good to see him just get off some really powerful swings already in the early going. That'll do it for this episode Again, Graham Pauly probably some point next week. Some other prospect interviews I'm excited about and plenty of more Arizona Fall League coverage. Next week, we're going to kind of go through all of our minor league awards and first team, second team, all that good stuff and recap some of the best performers. I've also been working pretty pretty diligently on the final touches of this top 100 end of season update. And then, of course, we start switching gears ahead to the 2024 list, but there's a lot of updates and, and shuffling around even over the last couple months that I'm excited to fill in here. And I think you're going to enjoy that. And that's going to be always just a lot of fun on the coverage side, being able to talk about those top 100 updates. If you could leave a rating, help us grow the show, I'd really appreciate it. Be sure to go check out JustBaseball.com for all of your playoff coverage, prospect coverage, all that good stuff. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you next week. Have a fantastic weekend.